Andre Marie is on the uh, Comrex hotline. And today is feast day of St. Alphonsus Maria de Ligori. And he is on the hotline, and we can talk about that and whatever else comes up in our amazing Wisdom Wednesday segment here. Uh, Brother Andre, good morning. How are you? I am well. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? I am well. Disturbed. That's good. <laughs> I am well cynicized. I am well. Wait, wait a minute. What's my generation? See, uh, I am a boom. I am well boomletified. Um, I'll have to look that up. Uh, post boom. Oh, I see. So I post see. 19, what, 58, 58, 60? I forget the actual year. Uh, brother, before we get started, we have an informal radio poll going on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, if you uh, had your druthers and could choose the next Holy Father or the next pontiff, uh, just based upon the name or a popular pope name, which would you choose? And the choices are uh, Pius the Thirteenth. What are they, Maggie? Um, <clears throat> Pius the Thirteenth. Uh, uh, I gotta find it. Yeah, now I forgot what it was. <laughs> Uh, Leo the Fourteenth, Pius the Thirteenth, uh, uh, Urban Gregory the uh, Seventeenth. Yeah, Gregory the Seventeenth, uh, Urban the Tenth, and Boniface the the Ninth. Or is Boniface Definitely the Ninth? Boniface the Ninth. Because if Boniface the Ninth, if Boniface wasn't an option, I was going to do it anyway. So I chose wisely when I picked Boniface. Uh, now the now uh, now now Gregory the Seventeenth would be interesting because there was an antipope known as Gregory the Seventeenth, and it would be it, it would be um, it would be good to make make it public to the world that he was indeed an antipope by having the real pope take that. See, John, when John the Twenty Third took the name John the Twenty Third, or took the name and the and the number Twenty Third, okay, um, he he settled the fact that the Avignon Pope known as John the Twenty Third was indeed an antipope. So interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Gregory the Seventeenth. Okay. Now, why Boniface? Because of Boniface the Eighth, who was the last name Boniface, who's widely hated, <laughs> but who um, uh, was the one who 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 died due. He died due to the complications that happened to him as an old man after the outrage at Anagni, which was um, Sister Catherine, who, who was our foundress, along with Father Feeney, who wrote um, Our Glorious Pope, says that the outrage at Anagni was really the beginning of the modern era. Okay. And this was the first time that um, the church's children, um, it, who had political power, um, directly attacked the church in the person of the Roman pontiff. Um, so it's a, it's a long story. The out, what led to the outrage at Anagni, but it was the it was the controversy between Boniface the Eighth and Philip the Fair of France, who was a real evil man and who was the grandson of Saint Louis, the King of France. Now I thought he was the nephew. So I didn't I, in my Substack I didn't mention his lineage, but I did mention uh, Philip the Fair and Henry the Eighth in the same sentence as villains. So <laughs> he's responsible for the end of the French branch of the Templars, right? Well, he's he put him on trial, for the didn't he? Of the Templars, period. Okay, so yeah, because he because he because he got he got confessions from the Templars for doing all kinds of horrible things, and the confessions that he got were procured under torture. And in fact, the um, head of the Templars, Jacques de Molay, who was a Frenchman, who was therefore in 
um, his uh, domain, uh, was tortured and confessed, and then and then um, repudiated his confession, said that he was weak and he confessed under under torture, but that he but that what he said was 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 a lie and he would never betray his order again, and after that he was tortured to death. Now the. The real mythology begins at this point when the Freemasons make Jacques de Molay their hero. You know how many Freemasonic stuff is named after de Molay? Yes. That's a lie. They're like the Freemason in this country anyway. The Freemasonic Youth Organization is called de Molay, but uh, at least it was at one time. But that was based upon a lie because if anybody was was the was the Masonic character in this, it was the man who murdered Jacques de Molay, namely uh, Philip the Fair. Uh, brother, I don't know if you're familiar with the work, but there's a book that we sell in the Founders Trade and Post store. It's called The Secrets of the Vatican Archives. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful tabletop book. You know, one of the ones that's filled with beautiful color photographs like that. Um, the first chapter in the book, and I interviewed one of the authors, the only one that speaks English. The first chapter is about what we we're just talking about here, which is about the Knights Templar. And uh, here, Maggie just handed me the book. Let me let me get to the proper place in uh, in the book. It's one of the first chapters. Is all about this um, this confession. Here it is, page fifty eight. Um, and I'd like to just share it with the audience because it it's it's a great it's a good subject. And I didn't even know about the uh, the youth groups, the Masonic youth groups that you had just mentioned. So under the um, where is it? Here it is, Trial of the Knights Templar. So, <clears throat> dissolution of one of media, uh, medieval Europe's most powerful orders and the execution of its leaders. What they discovered in the Secret Vatican Archives, a archaeologist whose name is Barbara Frall, or Barbara Frallet, um, uh, discovered in the archives, I'll just, uh, 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 this document. It's called the Chinon Parchment. Are you familiar with it? No. Okay. The Chinon parchment contains the protocol of the interrogation of five Templars, Grand Master Jacques de Molay, uh, Hugh de Pierrot, uh, Visitor of the Templar, uh, Rambaud de Caon, uh, Preceptor or Preceptor of Cyprus, Geoffroy de Gonville, uh, Preceptor of Aquitania, and Geoffroy de Charnay, uh, Preceptor of Normandy. They were interrogated between August the 17th and 20th, 1308, at Chinon Castle in the Diocese of Tours by three emissaries of Clement V, Cardinal uh, uh, Baringer Fridoli, Cardinal Etienne de, 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 de Suisi, uh, and Cardinal Landolfo Brancaccio in presence of public witnesses. The accused did not admit to the charges of heresy and sodomy. They explained the ostensible re reunification of their faith and sitting upon the cross were elements of a rite which was to prepare them in the event they fell into the hands of the Saracens. Obscene words and gestures were also part of the initiation. Um, what had happened was, is that this document never made it back to the Pope. 
Philip the Fair had it stolen on the way and sequestered. And so as part of the decision that was made about the about the Templars, this confession or this explanation of the confession never made it made it to where it was supposed to go. Um, and and, uh, and, and no nation in Europe other than France where they were where there was an investigation into the activities of the Templars was was it um, were they found to be guilty? Not one. Yeah, and, it was uh, France. And it was France alone under Louis and and I mean, under Philip. And the problem, for the, the real problem for the Templars was that they owned too much land in France. It was a land grab. So once once they were suppressed, guess who got the land? Philip. Philip so. the Fair, right? Uh, anyway, it's a wonderful chapter in the book, and it explains that when they discovered that document in the in the Vatican secret archives, uh, that this should put an end to the uh, the alleged controversy over the end of the Templars and what Philip the Fair and others conspired to do. Uh, so interesting that you brought that up. I did not know about the Freemasonic uh, named after Molay. So is, is is that like? Uh, <laughs> I almost said Hitler Youth. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, when you say a Masonic youth group, like like uh, Scouts, Demolay International, okay. the premier youth. Let's see, what does it say here? The premier youth, something or other. Um, for more than 100 years, Demolay has helped boys become men of outstanding character through dedicated mentorships and a unique hands-on life skill program. So yeah, it's it's um, it looks like it's a you know they've got fun activities and oh, and that. So how wonderful! So, fun activities for future masons. <laughs> it's called Demolay International. Interesting. Did not know that. Uh, Brother Andre Marie, the St. Benedict Center on our Dude Maker Hotline here, live from the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. And uh, today is feast day of St. Alphonsus de Maria de Logori. Uh, Brother, I know you're not up early in the morning. Uh, you are, but you're not listening to the Crusade Channel. Glo Joe Clovis had a wonderful uh, priest as a guest on today. Might even want to see if he is available for an episode of Reconquest. His name is Father James Mary. He is a black Blackfriar, and he's at Walsingham. He's at the chapel in Walsingham in Walsingham. Now, when you say Blackfriar, are you speaking of a Dominican? I, I don't know, but Joe Clovis said, and he announced himself as that he that he was a Blackfriar. Um, I took it to mean that he was a Franciscan, or I thought I heard him say something about Franciscan, but don't quote me on that. In any event, well, so the normal use of Blackfriar is in like. Blackfriars Bridge Railway Station okay. in London. Uh, it's a reference to the. It's a reference to the um, to the Dominicans. Okay, well maybe he is. I, I, I tell you this, he's wonderful. <laughs> his his conversation with Joe was. I mean, I sat here for an hour trying to do show prep and I couldn't because I was listening to Father talk about Our Lady Walsingham and the history of just uh, just wonderful things and about uh, how Marian devotion can carry you through any difficult time and it's helped so many people and he has helped many people. Uh, in any event, it's a uh, it, it'll be available his podcast later on today so uh, if you're interested yes, that's what it was. what's that that's what he meant what what he meant what the black friar. he was a black friar and he's the dominican mm -hmm. 
Okay. Maggie says that she what she found him on uh, online and he at yeah, the Walsingham West or the Walsingham West <laughs> Walsingham Shrine site, <laughs> and that he is a Dominican. So there you go. Uh, uh, Father James Mary, get that as a podcast later today at CrusadeMax.com. Joe Glover's doing a great job filling in for Fiorella. Saint Alphonsus Liguori. Uh, most people should know about Saint Alphonsus. Uh, I fear that most people don't or don't know very much about it, maybe know the name. Uh, he is the author. We have this uh, uh, this in magazine form. The work is called The Glories of Mary. And, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, brother, it's not Brother Bernard, Brother Dominic. Brother Dominic, uh, who is uh, in St. Uh, Alphonse's order today. Now, they, are, they were the Alpine Redemptorists, but now they are the... What are they? So you, you're thinking Transalpine Redemptress, and the name yes. you're looking for is the Sons of the Most Holy Redeemer. Okay. So uh, they're, they're, a, they're not Redemptress. They're a spin-off Redemptress group. Okay. But they sell the Glories of Mary magazine, um, and I buy, uh, buy a case at a time from Brother, uh, 100 copies or so. As a matter of fact, I've shared them with you here on Wisdom Wednesday. There's a great stories at the end where uh, a, a little tale is told about someone who had a devotion to Mary, like the person who's head was cut off and thrown into a well and they didn't get a chance to go to confession and because she was devoted to Our Lady, the head miraculously came out of the well, we attached as a priest came by, heard her confession and then she went back to being dead. Now that's him telling the story. That's not me making it up. That's that's the story. What can you tell us about the life and times of St. Alphonsus uh, Maria de Liguori? Uh, the so St. St. Alphonsus is a, a, a doctor of the church. He's known as uh, the doctor of moral theology. Um, and it, because he wrote some fairly weighty tomes, you know, on moral theology. And when people think of the St. Alphonsus's books, they think of the books, the popular books, The Glories of Mary, for instance, Preparation for Death. There's a book that he wrote for religious called A True Spouse of Christ, principally for sisters, but it's also used by male religious as well. Um, and uh, they all have the kind of the same style of writing to it. Uh, but, but he also was a theologian, not just a popular writer. And he wrote um, some fairly weighty tomes of moral theology. And because of his work in that, he was um, named a doctor of moral theology. And he, he kind of... Um, he split the difference. As a theologian, he tended to split the difference in a lot of things. Uh, for instance, he fell sort of between the rigorists and the laxists when it came to moral theology. He kind of he kind of split the difference there, and also when it came to um, certain theological questions. A, well, a certain theological question that was uh, uh, vexing the Catholic world then. Namely, the the, the the De Auxiliis controversy between, it was still an issue between the Dominicans and the Franciscans. I mean, the, excuse me, the Dominicans and the Jesuits. Uh, he, he, he came up with what was, he's part of what they call the syncretic school, which is not to be confused with religious syncretism, which is evil, but um, he attempted to bridge the gap between the Molinist Jesuits and the Dominican um, Thomists on the issue of um, uh, the nature of actual grace and our cooperation with it and what makes the difference between 
sufficient grace and efficacious grace. It's a, it's a complicated uh, tale, but he, his writings were an effort to sort of bridge the gap between those two schools. And as a result, he's called the, it's called the syncretic school. So um, he, that was, you know, that's considering him as a theologian. Now, long before he was a theologian of that kind of repute, he was a, um, a, a missionary, and he spent years uh, pre- preaching up and down Naples to bring, um, to in, particularly in rural areas, to poor people, people who were in the cities who didn't have such ready access to to uh, parishes and to the sacramental life. And um, he he founded an order eventually in eighteen, excuse me, in seventeen thirty two, um, called the. Um, the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, um, at CSSR, and that's those are the Redemptorists. Um, so the, 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 he founded them in 1732. I think they got papal approbation in the like something like 1745, somewhere around there. And um, he died in the year 1787, and uh, was eventually proclaimed. Uh, a doctor of the church. Now, the order he founded, uh, I mean, he, he was actually uh, removed as the superior of the order. It was awful. And this at this point, he's already a bishop under a constraint. The Pope made him the bishop of a diocese called Santa Agata dei Goti, which is a funny name. It, it means Saint, the diocese was named Saint Agatha of the Goths. Uh, because because this is a part of um, Italy where you know many many centuries before the Goths had invaded. Okay. So it was still at that time known as Santa Agata dei Goti, and um, the, and he was the, the bishop there. But um, so and then he he, would, he would retired as bishop and resigned the the episcopacy. Uh, or you don't resign the episcopacy. He resigned the, being the ordinary of the diocese and. Um, you know, sort of rejoined his congregation, uh, and but but he got uh, there was some controversy within the order, within the congregation, and he was removed. Now it turned out to be not valid as the as the head of the uh, congregation, and um, the the ones who were loyal to him in, in his lifetime included uh, Saint uh, Saint Clement Maria Hofbauer, and it was Saint Clement Maria Hofbauer brought the order across the Alps. So that's by the way where Father Michael Mary got the idea of transalpine redemption. Ah, okay. The the, the redemptorists across the Alps, um, but they can't use the name redemptorist. They had to change that. Um, so, uh, but but Saint Saint Alphonsus, getting back to him, in, in, in the Pope eventually found in his favor, but the decree proclaiming this that he was the legitimate head of the order didn't come to him until until he died, and it was put on his corpse. So that's kind of an inter- that that would be a great ending to a movie about Saint Alphonsus's <laughs> life. But uh, he was he was. Um, yeah, so he was a he was a uh, moral theologian. He was a great missionary. He was a great religious founder, and he was also known to be a rejuvenator, reformer of religious life, especially among nuns. Um, he preached a lot of uh, retreats and things to to religious sisters. And I mentioned that book, True Spouse of, of I think it's called the True Spouse of Christ or the true spouse of Jesus Christ, I forget the name of it, but it's a uh, true spouse, it's called for short. Um, it, it's a 
huge tome uh, on the religious life, uh, written primarily for religious sisters. And um, it, uh, it, it, it basically, I guess, presents his, what, what it was that he was giving to the religious sisters that he was preaching to, and he reformed many, of their, many convents because of that. And it says here that Pope Pius VII began his canonization in 1787, and in 1839, Gregory XVI solemnly inscribed his name on the list of the saints. Finally, Pope Pius IX, after consulting the Congregation of Sacred Rites, declared him a doctor of the Universal Church. Brother Andre, this may be something very interesting to many of our listeners. Uh, when you say doctor of the church, I mean, I know what it means, and you know what it means, but to someone that's a Southern Baptist that is mildly interested in the history of Catholicism that they hear on Wisdom Wednesday, or maybe to just lay Catholics that just have never delved into it. What is exactly, do we have a definition of what a doctor of the Catholic Church is? And I know that there is a finite number of how many that there are. Uh, what can you tell our listeners about that? So a doctor is somebody who has um, eximia scientia et eximia sanctitas, um, exemplary um, knowledge, science, meaning theological science, okay. sacred science, and exemplary um, sanctity. Uh, now, if you're wondering why, why the, or if anybody who's listening is wondering why the term doctor is used, since, do since we normally think of a doctor as somebody who you know treats you when you have the flu or something, uh, it's the it's the traditional use of the word doctor, um, not a physician but a teacher. Huh? Doctor in in Latin means teacher. Um, do, uh, docere docere is the is the Latin verb for to teach. So a doctor is a teacher. That's all. So uh, th they're the teachers of the church. So until Paul the sixth decided to institute this novelty of lady doctors. Um, all the doctors, except for one, were bishops, because, of course, bishops are traditional teachers, right? The bishop is the, is the teacher in his diocese, right? So the three munera of a bishop are to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. Right. The munera, meaning the gifts that they, they, that they have, their, their offices, really, the, 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 to teach, to govern, to sanctify. Now, so it begins with teaching, and the, and the bishop is the first teacher of his, of his diocese. He's, he is the teacher par excellence in his diocese. And um, so uh, the, all of the doctors of the church, except for one, were, um, were men, were bishops, and the one that wasn't a bishop was at least a cleric. He was a deacon, which means that he could preach, and that was St. Ephraim, the deacon of Syria. But then Paul VI gave us um, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila and... Um, St. Therese. No, he didn't give us St. Therese. He gave us St. Teresa of Avila and he gave us St. Catherine of Siena. Later on, I think it was John Paul II who gave us St. Therese okay. as a doctor. And now we've got, uh, I think, Hildegard, St. Hildegard of Bingen has been named a doctor, which in her case, it's I think it's entirely appropriate because she was known... I mean, if you're going to have a lady doctor, which I actually have issues with, 
and it's not just because I'm a chauvinist. Um, it's not. Let's clarify. It's not just because I said it that way deliberately because a lot of people just. I, I, just, I guess I just want women who want to write me off as a chauvinist to have something that they can say. Um, but uh, I'm really not a chauvinist. It's okay. I'm a fan of the Marquis de Chauvin too. I'm assumed to be a chauvinist. Anyway. Um, uh, and as and I as I usually like to say, yeah, all feminists think I'm a chauvinist. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the 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 um, I mean, the, so the idea is that the, if you look at the mass of a doctor, it says you know in medio ecclesia parerit os meus in the in the midst of the church I open my mouth. Well, women shouldn't do that. So it, that mass doesn't apply to them. So. Uh, Brother Francis at one point said, well, if you're going to have a woman doctor, you'd have to change the, 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 the mass propers, at least in the traditional rite. I have no idea what their mass propers are in the, in the new rite, which is alien to me. Um, so, uh, sorry, there's a, there's a lawnmower passing outside my window. It, it just adds soon. color, brother. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's like Joseph Pierce's rooster program. I have that new mic program. now so that I, it's, you're, not, you're not hearing it much louder than you would otherwise. But uh, the, the, uh, anyway, the, so the, 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 you have now, I think, three, three lady doctors. But um, uh, no, four. Four. Two, the two Teresas, the uh, St. Catherine and St. Hildegard. And then there's the Armenian uh, that uh, Pope Francis added. I think they're up to 35 or 36 doctors now. Um, you get so to be a, a doctor. You get number. to be a doctor. Pope Francis added Saint Gregory of Narek, who was a um, an Armenian monk, uh, to the list. Everybody gets to be a doctor. Well, well, in, in fairness, Saint Gregory is is uh, is um, what the Greeks would call. Um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's worthy. There's a there's a axios axios. He's he's worthy. So I think uh, I, I don't I don't think that was a problem. In fact, it's kind of nice to have an Armenian doctor. Since so very quickly, Axios means worthy in Greek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Axios.com is a worthy website. Uh, no, it's but, not. But that's what I'm going. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a. I know a very unworthy <laughs> website that's called word. Axios. <laughs> We're on the uh, hotline with uh, Brother Andre Marie of the Saint Benedict Center. In addition to Saint Alphonsus Liguori, uh, Saint Stephen the First, who was a pope, wasn't he? Correct. So uh, the the obviously the first Stephen today is his uh, feast day, if you will, as well. Yeah, Saint, yeah, Saint Stephen the First is so he was so we went to mass this morning um, at Saint Stanislaus and the mass was the mass of Saint Alphonsus de Liguori and Saint Stephen the the Pope and martyr was commemorated. Interesting. So um, and then there are also um, well there there there's different there's multiple saints on multiple days uh, many many times that you have that here in the church. But same with the subject of Saint Alphonsus Liguori uh, in all the paintings that and uh, most of the artwork that you see, uh, Saint Alphonsus Liguori also lo looks to have suffered some form of scoliosis. He had he did have something wrong with his neck. So um, towards the end of his life, his chin like was sort of stuck into his chest. Something was something. I, I forget the details of it. In fact, I don't even know if they had a diagnosis of exactly what it was. But he, he his, his, his. In fact, I think his chest actually was damaged from the fact that his chin was always digging into it. 
Uh, but yeah, that's that's Saint Alphonsus. I mean, he, he he was put through the mill at the end of his life because again, he was removed from being he was removed from being the superior of his congregation unjustly. Um, he suffered he suffered scruples towards the end of his life, and he was going at one point he was going to confession every day, and he would crawl down the hall literally crawl hands and knees down the hall to knock on the door of a priest to go to confession. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly from a story that I read years ago, he was he was treated kind of badly in the house where he died. Um, so he, it, it, his, his, it's kind of like the story of St. John of the Cross. You know, he, here he was a great, in, in his case, a founder. In St. John's, John's case, a reformer. Um, and both of them were treated badly. I mean, like criminals. St. John was literally put in an ecclesiastical prison at one point. Um, St. Alphonsus didn't have that, but he was, he was treated very, very badly. And, and um, you know, I think this... I think in both cases they were victim souls, you know, whose whose vocation was to suffer extraordinarily for God's blessing upon their work. In the case of St. John, it would be the reform of Carmel, uh, the reform of the male branch of Carmel. And in the case of St. Uh, Alphonsus, it was the, the, the good of the congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, which did some incredible work and which... Uh, Mike, you live not too far from where the redem where uh, there, there's a rede there's a re body of a redemptorist saint, or at least a blessed, blessed Francis Xavier Salos, who we mentioned, I think oh, last. I've week. been there. So, th so that was a that was a trilingual redemptorist parish with three, with three churches. One was francophone, one was anglophone, and the other was um, germanophone. I was going to say it was German. Yeah, so St. Alphonsus, I think, was the German church. St. Mary's Assumption, I think, was the English-language church. And uh, Notre-Dame was the French-language church. And you can visit, you can venerate the body of St. Francis Xavier Zelos at Assumption. Um, but it's only a two-block walk to get to the Redemptorist church. Which is still being cared for. I know you haven't They're been. They're all redemptorists, yeah. Yeah, I know you haven't been in New Orleans in a while, but I've been in the last five years. I went there, um, uh, and it's simply stunning. Because and, uh, what what most people don't know is that Saint John Nepomuchin Neumann, who was also a redemptorist, who was contemporary, was an older contemporary of Saint Francis Avicellos, or Blessed Francis Avicellos. He um, and, and he was the fourth bishop of Baltimore and the one who created the Catholic school system in this country, the parochial school system. Okay. Uh, St. John Nepomuchi Norman had a younger brother who was a frater in the um, congregation, a, a redemptorist brother. And um, I'm forgetting his name, um, but he was the, he was the brother of St. John Neumann, and he's buried in that church where the relics of Saint um, of Blessed Francis Xavier Salos are. Well, and what's incredible, and you and I have actually talked about this. Um, if you go to downtown New Orleans and you're at the and you're, and you're at uh, Assumption, um, and one of the most majestic, stunning, beautiful high altars you will ever see in your life. Uh, you you look at this and then in the, kind of the vestibule that's off to the side where they have the uh, the body of Xavier Silos. You walk out that door. It is exactly a hundred yards. I know. I walked it off. I'm I'm just going to go uh, to my deathbed. I'll 
carry that I marched 100 yards, me and the guys from the TFP, to the door of the Redemptorist. And it's equally as large. And you go, like, did they really need this many <laughs> beautiful uh, uh, Gothic style, uh, just stunningly beautiful churches within the, the, this small amount of real estate? Well, there's not one, there's not two, but there's three. And they were all packed. I mean, it wasn't... Right. And, and keep in mind, there was an enormous house where the Redemptorists lived. There were a bunch of Redemptorists there that were servicing those three that <laughs> those three churches of one parish. It was one juridical parish with three buildings, all within walking distance of each other, right? Oh, yes. Because one was French language, one was English language, and one was German language. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Redemptorists were... <laughs> these were the anti-Americanists... And I don't mean to say they were anti-American. I'm talking about the Americanist heresy. Oh yes, um, they were. They Solange were the, Hertz. They were the sworn enemies of the Paulists, who were ba the Paulists. The original Paulists were all former Redemptorists. That's a long story, which is told on our website actually. Okay. Uh, but the but the um, but they were they joined the Redemptorists, and then they didn't like all these foreigners in the Redemptorists who didn't understand America and how wonderful America was and how new and, 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 and non-European America was. But um, the Redemptorists towed the line, like Father Müller, Father um, Michael Müller, who was also a German, although he was a Rhinelander, unlike Salos, who was a Bavarian. Uh, and they knew each other. They were, they were contemporaries. They, they lived in the same house at one point, I believe. Because um, St. John Nepomuchen Neumann, I mean, St. Um, uh, Blessed Francis Xavier Salos was in... Cumberland, Maryland, for quite a time, and um, it, but he he finished up in during the yellow fever epidemic in in New Orleans, and that that of course is is what took him the yellow fever epidemic. Yes, and uh, which you know during the Corona doom, when so many Catholic priests and bishops were telling the priests to shutter themselves in, put the masks on, wear the rubber gloves, don't do it. No, I'm not ministering the sacrament. You can't come here for, con don't you dare darken the door of my church with your silly need to, to go to confession. Uh, Blessed Xavier Zelos was on call. And he would go, uh, if you go to the, and I have a little exhibit there now for him, brother. If you go and, uh, you know, the detail kind of the last uh, couple of months of his life, um, uh, he let it be known that anyone who needed the sacraments, last rites, and what have you, all they had to do was let it be known that they needed it, and he would find a way to get there. So he was like, he was sick. And he was sleeping on floors wherever he could uh, a couple of hours a night. I mean, this is what it, someone that is actually attending to his flock and being a good shepherd. This is what they do. So it's a wonderful story here about Blessed Xavier Zelos. And he adopted New Orleans as like his kind of hometown away from home. And as you said, he was a Bavarian. He, he, he was not... He came from Fusen. It's a little little town called Fusen. F-U with umlaut S. E N or uh, I think two S's Fusen, and um, yeah, they, there's a devotion to him there now. Uh, um, there's a devotion here to him. Well, I mean, that's his native town, right? right. So the, de the devotion sort of backflushed into Fusen. Good. He was he, he he was never a priest when he was in Bavaria. He became a religious and he became a priest here in this country because he answered a call by a. Um, I think he was a. Um, what was he, a Czech? There was a Czech, or at that time, Bohemian, 
there was a Bohemian redemptorist who had come to this country as kind of a pioneer of the, of the congregation. And he saw the pathetic state of German-speaking Catholics in America. Because at that time, you had all these German Catholics fleeing, I think it was fleeing the Kulturkampf under Otto von Bismarck. I think that's why they came early. And there weren't enough priests. And he said, these people are in danger of losing their souls because they're going to lose the faith and they're going to join these alien sects that are all over the United States of America. And we need to keep them Catholic, so we need priests. And Francis Xavier Salos, who as a child said, when his mother was reading him from a book about the life of St. Francis Xavier, he said, I will be a Francis Xavier. And... Um, and that was his name, Francis Xavier Salos. But he, what he meant was, I will be um, a missionary like that. So he came to the United States really as a missionary to save German speakers from apostatizing. Um, but the, so, so the Redemptorists, a little fun fact about the Redemptorists, they never did parochial work in, in, in um, Italy or in Europe. Well, they did some in Europe, um, but only secondarily... See, in Italy, they didn't do parishes at all because they weren't needed to do parishes. You had parish priests and you had them galore. Uh, what they were needed for was to do home missions. Now, what's called the home missions is missions in non-mission territory. You know, this isn't, you know, deepest, darkest Africa or, you know, the some islands in the Pacific or, you know, something, <laughs> some remote place right. where mm -hmm. the faith has not yet penetrated. In other words, mission territory, what the church looks at as mission territory. The home missions were missionaries who would have gone into the homeland of Christendom itself to go into remote regions where people weren't sufficiently christened because as I said like the rural areas where there there was less access to priests huh? so th this kind of th th that was what the home missions were that and preaching what were called parish missions now I think you've been part of a parish mission at some point but um, the Redemptorists, including the spinoff, the Sons of the Most Holy Redeemer, they do those home missions. Um, at least I think they do. They, they, I know when they were, when they were SSPX affiliated, which is how they started, uh, they did home missions in SSPX chapels. Um, but there was kind of a messy divorce there, and they, and they, and they got approval from the diocese in, in Scotland uh, where they have their monastery in the Orkney Islands. But and now they're international. They have a place in um, Christchurch, New Zealand. They're also in Montana, um, and yeah, th that's their work to do to do home missions. Their Saint Alphonsus's um, motto for them was um, Carthusians at home, apostles abroad. <laughs> and in other words, he's showing that in the monastery, in in the, in their houses, they live like the strictest monks but they also do apostolic work outside of the monastery. And the, um, the, the, I, I know that the um, Sons of the Most Holy Redeemer try to, to really maintain that spirit. It's, so I've, I've heard from an insider that that's really the way the life is. Um, so and not so much with the modern redemptorists. Um, but St. Saint, Alphonsus Saint didn't want them to have parishes because it made no sense for them to run parishes because that would totally obliterate the idea of Carthusians at home, apostles abroad. But in America, 
And in some parts of Europe, like Transalpine across the Alps, where, for instance, in Poland, you had a German-speaking parish, the name of which I forget, but St. Um, Clement Maria Hofbauer was assigned to that parish because the German speakers needed a German-speaking priest. And, and they, lived in, they lived in Poland. So it was, it was one of these sort of, I don't know, one of these weird things in history in Europe that we America that's very foreign to us Americans. You know, why why are there all of these you know Poles in this part of Germany, or why are there all these German speakers in this part of Poland? But these historical f facts are just realities that the Church has to deal with. Like we have to provide priests who speak that language to those people there, right? Like, like I think last week we were talking about the um, the Romanians in Hungary, right? Yep. So the church has to accommodate these people who have uh, a different language, different culture, so forth. So only as a sort of an extension of their mission to be uh, a, a, apostles abroad did they ever do parish work. But in this country, they still do parish work, I believe. There are st I think there are still redemptorist parishes in, uh, in the good old United States of America. Well, the one that's in New Orleans is not operated as a, a, a church anymore. It's more of a museum, tourist attraction, whatever. Uh, it's interesting, though, that they have... But, the, but the Redemptors don't run the... the because well, at least one of those churches is used for, for Mass. Well, I'm sure it is. I, mean, I just remember going into the uh, the Redemptors one that at the door there is a form with an envelope, kind of like what you send out with Manchipia, where you can either fill it out there or take it home and you can make a contribution to keep that particular building out of the hands of people that want to turn it into an apartment complex. So there's a, and it's local. I mean, the people that live around it go like, we don't want it to be a apartment complex. Well, I suppose that the most surefire way to stop that from happening is for the faith to be restored in New Orleans so that all those churches are needed, right? <laughs> that's, oh, absolutely. That's the you fastest know, yeah, they, and best they, way. They, they, should be, they should be packed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you, by the way, I see that Maggie O'Connell popped some beautiful pictures of that church. If you look at that um, sanctuary there, it's, it's on the floor of that sanctuary that St. John Nepomuchin Neumann's brother, who was a Redemptor's brother, is buried. He's, right, he's buried right in the sanctuary along with other Redemptorists. Uh, we're uh, talking with Brother Andre and Marie here on a Wisdom Wednesday episode of the Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel, Live Talk Radio, the way it should be. Reminding you that our new Christendom Daily podcast is up and available. Uh, you can get it on Google, but you can also get it uh, primarily on Apple and in the iTunes podcast app. When you find it there, please give it a rating, a star rating. And for extra credit, please give it a review. The more uh, ratings and reviews, the higher it ranks when people search for keywords that are part of any episode like today's Wisdom Wednesday that will appear on the new Christendom Daily Podcast feed. Um, brother, uh, just, just a quick clarification, just to make sure that uh, if I did say this incorrectly, and I think I might have, um, uh, and your correction was not heard, uh, Father James Mary is a conventual Franciscan of the Gray Friars, and Maggie has a photograph of him posing in front of a beautiful statue, I think the okay, statue. Okay, Gray Friars. Right. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, of Our Lady of Walsingham uh, at the Walsingham Chapel, which, by the yeah, way... And, and when as soon as I saw that picture, I said, that's not a Dominican habit. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, a Franciscan <clears throat> habit because there's a cord on it. Uh, and, and by the way, Father, uh, Father James 
James Mary also insisted today, uh, today that the news of the suppression of the Latin Rite in Walsingham is not correct, that he has obtained gracious permission from the bishop to, on first Saturday, first Friday and first Saturday, to celebrate it in the old rite at the chapel. So, you can complain oh, generous. about... generous. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, generous, two days a month. I was going to say, you can complain about that, or you can look at it and go like, well, it's not nothing, so <laughs> there it is. Yeah, uh, it's a permission that he doesn't need. It's a, exactly. It's, quo primum is in force. He has a right to say it. Well, he says day. he says it every day. Mm -hmm. Oh, but he's not allowed to let you go and assist him in saying it. Oh, that's silly. I I I, I don't know. Uh, all right, eight four four five two seven eight seven two three. Our call in line telephone number. Um, uh, so so just in, in kind of blousing and bouncing around, brother. I don't know if you've seen, the, and I don't want to embroil you in a controversy. <laughs> I would shudder the thought, because <laughs> brother has never been in a controversy. No, uh, no, no. Uh, Minister O'Connell, where did you get those photographs of the bowls of the holy body? Uh, uh, of our Lord being passed around at International World Youth Day. Brother, have you seen this? You may not want to. It may break well, your heart. Look, World Youth Day has been an embarrassment since it started. I, I don't. Th this idea that World Youth Day was something great and wonderful and apostolic, and then Pope Francis is corrupting it because the guy who's running it now in Lisbon says that we're not trying to convert young people to Christ. I mean, th there were there were Eucharistic abominations happening in World Youth Day when John Paul II was doing it. That's and right. I'm not saying he was directly responsible for those, but when you do, you know, a football field mass, and you've got an army of con celebrants, it, it's just it, it's so out. I mean, I'm, I'm against the con celebration as it's done in the Novus Ordo anyway. It was never done that way in the Latin Rite and even the Eastern Rite. The concept of Con celebration is different than in the Western rites. Okay, but um, but the, the, when you when you see these ceremonies, they have these enormous masses in football stadiums, with an army of priests going around administering the sacraments, and that just the, the way that it's done, the context in which it's done, or I should say the the, the location, all of these things make for Eucharistic ab abuses. Uh, and when you've got um, something that's so beyond any concept of scale, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I've seen at papal masses people passing hosts mm -hmm. one to another. Like, you know, somebody goes to the end of the line and passes it through the line. Now, yeah, I was sitting around a bunch of priests when this happened, so they could do that. But... Um, I was a bit scandalized at the sloppiness of it. And this was a papal mass in Rome under Pope Benedict. It's uh, interesting, someone that you follow on Twitter, and so do I, Matt Gaspers. Uh, he was putting the, the photographs. Did you see Matt's old pictures of him at World Youth Day 1999? No, I, yeah, I mean, I've seen all that stuff. I've seen stuff like it. You know, I lived well, through all that stuff. So. Well, he repudiates it now. He's like, well, some, one of the biggest mistakes in my life, he says, was that he no, they, was... They, yeah, they, they, uh, it, it was, it, it, it's, it's... The whole thing about um, World Youth Day, it was part of John Paul II's cult of personality. And that's not an attack on John Paul II. There are people that like him who I think simply acknowledge that, yes, there was a tremendous cult of personality surrounding the man. 
And to give him the benefit of the doubt, I won't say that it was a matter of pride or personal aggrandizement that he he fostered this cult of personality surrounding himself. I think he honestly thought this was good for the church, that he, he as Pope, would become this sort of globetrotter for the faith. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 I don't think it worked. I mean, I think the cult of personality was very shallow. But when you look at these uh, World Youth Day events, they had the all, all the atmosphere of a rock concert. Exactly. There was, there was very little about it that was sacred. There was and and um, and and the people you know John Paul II we love you they would chant things like that mm-hmm. and you 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 sit there and you think well, but do they really do these people really have the faith do they really understand the commitments of the faith and when you see how they treated the, the Eucharist in some of these um, events um, well the the obvious answer is no uh, no at, at least they're very ignorant of the obligations of of a Catholic. And I mean, I heard even worse stuff about some of the things that happened at, at the World Youth Day because when you got a bunch of young people together and you got this rock and roll concert atmosphere, don't assume that they're going to be acting like angels when nightfall comes. And they had serious moral problems at some of these events. And but why? Because it's well, you know, let's keep the kids doing, you know, let's let, let them have fun and have, let's have them their let them have their rock and roll music and all this stuff. But we'll do it in a Catholic setting. Well, well, sorry. It, I mean, original sin afflicts all of us. And, and if you want to, don't give young people that atmosphere just because you'd rather them not get it at a heavy metal concert or at. I don't know, a, a satanic event. You don't give them the alternative that's just like what the world has to offer, only you, you attempted to baptize it. Sorry. Well, this, this, work. this is all about the novelty. Uh, but if you want to contra that, you know, Michael Matt from Remnant Magazine every year goes on the Chartres pilgrimage. And last time I saw uh, pictures of it, because people like them pictures, uh, I, golly, there have to have been five digits worth of uh, people there, and a lot of them young people. But they're on a pilgrimage. And there are masses. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the actual mass at Chartres. I, 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 Shots, I've never been Shotgun? there. I've, I have seen pictures, but I've done it myself. I've been on. I've been on the one in Arsville, and okay. yes, it's much smaller. Uh, but but I know exactly what the atmosphere is like. You the, have tons of young people. But the church is loaded to the proverbial gills, so that the uh, so the, they extend. They have a tent outside. I'm not sure exactly how they do it, but they uh, at least attempt to keep the sacredness uh, of the whole thing intact. Um, instead, yeah, I mean, of ma- we we were so. I mean, I I have lived experience dealing with young people on that pilgrimage. And they need supervision. In fact, I was one of the ones that went to the pilgrimage director. By the way, I talked to the guy yesterday. He and I talked for like an hour yesterday about something else. But um, wonderful guy, wonderful guy, Greg Lloyd. Um, but uh, I went to Greg one time. And I was like, you know, you don't see this stuff because, you know, you're so busy with the pilgrimage and you're exhausted at night because the days leading up to the pilgrimage, he's getting like one, two or three hours of sleep at night because he's just doing all this stuff to organize things. But, um, but um, so he's like in his tent zonked <laughs> when, when, but I said, you know, it's like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and you still got teenagers up sitting up talking with each other around the campfire. That's got to stop. So one, one night I went out and I menaced the lot of them um, 
and um, I, 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 there's a sister, not one of our sisters here, but another sister from another house who happened to have, she wasn't a sister yet, she witnessed this. Oh. I told I told a bunch of the boys, I said, you, you will all go to bed now or I will crush you. <laughs> she never forgot that. Um, but I made them clear out of where they were, like, you know, go to bed. I don't care if you're a college student. I don't care. Go to bed. Get it. Get, get, you know, you, you're going to be walking all day tomorrow. You're going to be tired, and you're going to want to ride in a little wimp van because a little wimp van stayed up too late. <laughs> you know, and you know, there have been marriages that came, courtships and marriages that resulted from the pilgrimage from people who met on pilgrimage, and that's good. But you know, you you. You don't want babies preceding the marriage date, so let's <laughs> let's uh, you know get into our tents, and it separately. Was, um, there, there was a real effort at keeping the the the, the Utes um, well behaved, because as somebody said, it doesn't matter. As somebody said in the chat room, it doesn't matter what the nature of the event is. Young people need supervision. They need discipline. So no, no, they need to be to be able to make their own decisions, brother. If they don't want breasts, then let's help them cut them off. If they want to eat cake four times a day, as the four food groups, cake, licorice, ice cream, and candy, well, then they're smart kids, and they should be able to make that determination for themselves, you see. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of see the, uh, I, I still think he was still very wise. Uh, El, uh, El Rushbo saying, I am, uh, my friends, we're going to demonstrate abs the, the, the absurdity of absurdity by being absurd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't take much. The, 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 when you have Catholics of goodwill who want to do things that are really Catholic, they're going to take the necessary precautions. Um, but you know you don't. You know the whole world World Youth Day, at least in this country. I can't speak for the Europeans. Um, well, go ahead. I speak for the Europeans. As bad as we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 it's wrapped up in the whole culture of you know having having high school dances and and you know kids. When I was a senior, you know you had, we had the stupid senior prom. You had parents who let their kids get hotel rooms. Yep. Well, gee, what could possibly go wrong? Well, here, it was a better question. What could possibly go right? Yeah, no, I know. And, I mean, it was an ugly scene. I wanted, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. But uh, th this, was, this was the stupidity of parents. And I graduated high school in 1988. So, so it's not like stupid is new. And when you trust your little dears not to do anything wrong... Uh, and say, oh yeah, sure, you can rent a limousine and 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 have a hotel room, so that you know you don't have to drive home drunk. <laughs> talk about, talk about, um, you know, the lowest common denominator. You know, just just reducing everybody to 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 sort of brute animal nature. But that's that that was the culture. Now, if you take people who, whose Catholic schools. That is a standard of behavior in their Catholic schools, and you get a whole, glob a whole bunch of them together and say, "We're going to go off to Papal World Youth Day." Well, what do you expect? Well, have you seen how the girls that go to Dominican high school these days dress? I don't want to. You don't want to, brother. My, my cousins went there, and by the way, when I was in the Holy Cross band, the Dominican Debs used to dance with us every once in a while. Because keep in mind, we were all boys; they were all girls. Um, so, it, like one game a year or something, the Dominican Debs, who was the dance line for Domin from Dominican, the Debs would come and 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 do a big to do dancing thing. I mean, I, back then, 
you know, it, it was immodest. Oh, brother, it's a horrible, terrible scandal. They uh, give the miniskirt a bad name. Uh, it's that. It, it, I, I don't even know why they bother. And I and, and I know I know at least one person that I know still stands their daughter there. And sometimes I want to ask, do you let her wear that cheerleader outfit? Do you? In any event, we get the point. We're out of time, brother. What is up on? Uh, we should all get the point uh, the, that's being made here. Uh, what are we talking about on tonight's uh, reconquest? Tonight's reconquest. Uh, I have a guest. Uh, this is the second time I've interviewed Chris DeVos, who's going to be at. You, you'll get to meet him because he's going to be at the conference. Um, it's it's a part two of our earlier um, interview on the cost of denying creation. So um, it's more of the same, only we delved a little deeper on some other subjects. Okay. Of, I wonder if he's of, any relation to Betsy DeVos. I wouldn't know. Well, she is one of the Catholics for Trump, and she is she was the Secretary of Education under Trump, I want to say. In any event, we'll look forward to that tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, and I'm still waiting for my commercial for the upcoming St. Benedict Center Conference. I bet you are. Yes. <laughs> well, I would cut it, but my voice is already all over the station. So it'd oh, be, I know, I know. It'd be nice yeah, to have I, a, I have yet to talk to Sister Philomena about that, so thanks for reminding me. Uh, she can uh, pause pig wrangling for just a moment, and uh, or for however many moments it takes. Don't forget, all of season one, 56 episodes of Reconquest, uh, that means that that is 56 hours, that's two and a half days where the binge list listening of Reconquest available at crusademax.com. So stop putting snarky comments in some of the signal chats and implying to me in the chat room that you ran out of stuff to listen to on the, on the Max because you didn't. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong, Colonel Sanders. Uh, brother, thank you very much for another uh, Wisdom Wednesday. Uh, we shall talk to you uh, next Wednesday, if not sooner. All right. Sounds good, Mike. Thank you very much. God bless our listeners and God bless you.